Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. All right. Well, hello again to my beautiful listeners and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. I'm just so happy to be here again. Today, we're welcoming Dee Leibowitz to read from her new book, The Marks of Donner. They'll be in conversation with me afterwards, but before I introduce her, I just remind you that Skylight Books is offering curbside pickup and online ordering on our website, www.skylightbooks.com. We're also right now open with limited capacity, but we're a little bit more expanded than before. So please come on by. We're still practicing social distancing and um, CDC regulations. So bring your mask, but come by. We're, we're so happy to see you. Dee Leibowitz was born and raised in Hong Kong, but spent the majority of her adult life in the UK. She's very proud of her Jewish and Hong Kongese heritage. She has a BA in religion, philosophy and ethics, PGCE and MA in religious education from King's College London. When she's not writing, she's a qualified Krav Maga self-defense instructor, which I want to say is just so cool. And she has her own uh, kids self-defense school and she's an instructor at the Krav Maga London. Dee, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. I well, afterwards, I wanted, I'm sad that we, you can't show us some uh, Krav Maga skills here, <laughs> but maybe, you know what, maybe I'll ask for some afterwards, but <laughs> that's for off the podcast. Maybe that's for our, that's for our, uh, maybe we'll do like a Patreon where you can show our, <laughs> teach our listeners some cool skills. <laughs> oh my God. But you have a reading for us and I'm so excited to hear it. Yes, I do. Um, so I thought that I would read from the prologue, just Ooh. give the readers who are new to this book kind mm -hmm. of an insight and a context to what the book is about. And mm -hmm. then an extract from one of the chapters um, from my book. Um, mm -hmm. Just so your listeners um, are aware, um, all the chapters in my book are based on my memory. So everything that's happened in the book is real. So these are actually mm -hmm. events in my life. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously names and everything like that has been changed to protect people's identities, but everything right. here is, is based on real life. Um, mm -hmm. So let's start, let's get the right page. <clears throat> I'm gonna start, is that okay? Really? For almost a decade, I was unable to talk to anyone, let alone myself, about what I had dubbed the incident. 
the consequences of which called into question my memory, my sanity, and my entire being to the point where I had begun to think of myself as a mad woman lost, some deranged woman gone astray. It took almost 10 years to finally admit to myself what had happened to me. And even to this day, I still struggle with something that echoes of taboo, shame and guilt. Flash forward to two years ago, over coffee above Waterloo Station with my close friend, A.W. I was asked a question that would be the catalytical motivation for writing this book. She asked, why does their learning have to involve our pain? By there, A.W. meant the men that have left footprints or even craters on our lives. Those poignant words lingered within for days as I realized I had no way to answer that question. I simply didn't know and that bothered me. It bothered me like the itchy lace bra strap that digs into your body, which has in turn been told constantly it would never be perfect nor even satisfactory. It bothered me like the agonizing uterine ache that you get when you're on your period, while your male boss doesn't quite understand why you need a minute just to breathe through the pain with a clenched smile. It bothered me. So what began as an attempt to answer A.W.'s question became a means to self-examine, to find a way to purge myself of the events that led up to and followed the incident. This grew almost organically into a collection of scribbled down memories that have been burrowed deep within. Those memories eventually formed the story which you're about to read. All of those stories are based on true events of my life, starting from Hong Kong, then to Paris, Cumbria, and finally London. Every effort has been made to portray actual events accurately, but they're nonetheless based on my memory. Where specific details events cannot be recalled, I hope to convey their emotional truth to preserve the story's authenticity. All names of people mentioned in this book have been changed to protect their identities. Our main character is unnamed, and this was a deliberate choice. There are so many girls and women out there who suffer or have suffered and survived that do not get named. This book is for them the innumerable unnamed girls and women, so that you may know and be reminded you are not alone. Okay, so this is taken from um, chapter 17, which is called More Like Susanna. Why can't you be more like Susanna? Her mother sighed at the girl, but she couldn't be more like Susanna, even if she tried. She wanted to badly, desperately. God, does she want to. Susanna was half Caucasian and half Hong Kongese, but in so many ways, so different from the girl. Susanna, with a perfect posture, slender, athletic figure, the long, silky brown hair, the perfect manners. Susanna, who spoke softly and sweetly with the fluttering eyelashes and a cute smile. The girl looked at her mother and met the disappointment she saw with frustration of her own. Could her mother not see? Could she not see that 
that one question she should never ask her daughter? Could her mother not tell that she was asking for her daughter to become someone else? Could her daughter, sorry, could her mother not foretell that those words would haunt her for many years to come? The girl continued to hold her mother's gaze as she attempted to convey how hurt she was by those sour words, but nothing got through. Instead, her mother repeated the question, rubbing salt on the wound. Why, why can't you be more like her, huh? She is so sweet. She speaks so sweetly, sweet words, sweet smile. Many people like Susanna, not like you. You, you so rough, so direct, too rough, not sweet like her. You must learn from her, learn to be more like her. Those words were acid as she swallowed them. They had begun to burn a hole through the girl's confidence, a hole that would grow bigger and deeper. If being more like Susanna would mean my mother would like me more, then I guess I'll just have to try and be like her, thought the 14-year-old girl. The girl concluded if she was going to be more like Susanna, she would first need to look like her. So, one evening, she decided to study her naked body in the bathroom mirror. She had to stand on the toilet seat to get a full length view of herself. She had seen herself naked thousands of times, but it had never occurred to her until then to really look at herself. If I'm more like Susanna, maybe mom would like me better. Maybe the boys at school would stop teasing me for being such a tomboy. Maybe they would even fancy me and give me a second glance. As she examined her body, words she never thought she would ever associate with herself sprang up one after the other. I don't see a Susanna. I only see me. I don't see a Susanna. I only see me. And all I see is a fat, ugly, frizzy haired tomboy. I don't see a Susanna. I only see me. Why can't I look more like Susanna? Why? That was the first time the girl ever cried in the shower. Wow, that was so powerful to hear. Um, no problem. Um, my, well, I want to start off this conversation. <laughs> I just, I was, so I wanted to start the conversation asking more about you first before we got into the book, but I just, I'm going to change it up because I just hear you talk about that. I mean, one, I think there is no separation or little separation from you in that book, but just hearing you talk about it, I felt the pain and the memory and the emotions coming from that from you. How did it feel writing that, like writing that and hearing in, even just now speaking it? Um, writing it was really difficult. Um, mm -hmm. it, when I first started writing, um, I didn't actually intend for it to become a book. I had mm -hmm. no intention for it to be published or anything like that. It was simply uh, because of, so basically when I was 17, I was sexually assaulted by my ex-boyfriend mm -hmm. and I never talked about it. I never told anyone. I told like 
one person at the time and then throughout my life maybe like two people mm-hmm. it was never discussed and I kind of just blocked it off um and over time because I had a lot of unresolved issues a lot of range um mm-hmm. I feel like depression and PTSD and all of that which I didn't know what was happening at that time um mm-hmm. I just sort of never dealt with it and then through conversations with my friend A.W who was my mentor when I was doing my teacher training. Um, she was one of the few people who knew. Um, I suddenly, on my way to work to school one day, had kind of a, a memory that just popped up. And it was a very, very unpleasant one, something that I hadn't thought about. And it just, it caught me completely off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'm just gonna write it down because I've always been a writer. I've written poetry, writing different things. and. So I wrote on my phone and then I immediately felt better mm-hmm. in that I was suddenly acknowledging that these things happened. And I thought, okay, well, let's just, let's work through that and let's try and articulate and attribute language to different things that have happened. Mm-hmm. And it was like opening the floodgates suddenly because I want let one thing out, everything just went out. Mm-hmm. And it was a very confusing um, time and, you know, really sort of up and down emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to write everything down. So I just whatever came in, just scribbled it down. At mm-hmm. first, they were kind of like two, three sentences of like, you know, this kind of happened. It was like a flashlight. This happened, this happened, this happened. And uh, my friend A.W. said, well, write it all down, make it into kind of a cohesive story whether yeah. you publish it or not this is just going mm-hmm. to help kind of make sense of everything that kind of happened throughout your life and your identity and everything like that so I did and then it became a book <laughs> it it was it was just so accidental um mm-hmm. at cathartic definitely cathartic but really difficult to to write because as I as soon as I decided, okay, I'm going to make this into like a book, even forget about publishing it first. I thought right, right. this needs to be, this needs to be written well. I need to do this justice. So every time I went back to kind of write it, I was being transported to that memory. And it was, it was really, really difficult. Um, Cause it's like reliving it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Did anything i mean in this you kind of said it a little bit but was there anything in the book that came out in the book that was a memory that just surprised or shocked you that was just like something that like you just you didn't even see coming you couldn't see coming in a way uh yeah that's a very good question because the chapter that i chose to read for you more like Susanna, Mm -hmm. that would happen when i was 14. And um, I was, it just kind of popped up and it caught me off guard. And I remember my mother, so Susanna was this girl at school. She was also half white, half Hong Kongese, but she was very girly and feminine and everything like that. And Mm -hmm. me being this tomboy, I've always been this this tomboy. um, Mm -hmm. That memory really caught me off guard because it made me, I think because my mom wanted me to be like her so much and I deliberately became the opposite. Mm -hmm. It kind of 
informed a lot of my life choices later on. And even now, I'm you know not the most feminine of, of women out there. Um, mm. And that was a bit of a surprise because it wasn't something that I had kind of trudged through my life, like my memory palace and gone, oh, I need to think about that. It just, mm. it just came up. Wow. And that like, that just might, I mean, I feel like that's such a powerful memory tool for like also healing, if you um, agree, like it just, it feels like very, um, connected to like your present life, those past memories. Did you feel any healing in that way while writing this book? Oh yeah, absolutely. Not at the time. <laughs> at mm. the time, I mean, there were moments where I'm like, why Why did I decide to do this? This is crazy. <laughs> right. um, I'm, I'm giving myself, you know, making myself relive terrible memories for the sake of a book, for the sake of my mm. art. But then when it was all done, I, I mean, I, I was just sobbing because you know, it wasn't like a sad sob. It was just, yes, these things happened to me, but mm -hmm. I've worked through that and I'm right. a stronger person for that. And now I'm able to use my life experiences to help and support others who may mm -hmm. be in similar situations or know other people who are in similar situations and be like, mm -hmm. it's, it's not okay now but you can work through it and things can get better. Yeah. And I, I mean, <laughs> I feel like that's some good therapy right there too, right? If you have any listeners, if you have any like thing you need to get through, write it, make a book. We should, I feel like that there's been such a trend too. And in the, um, especially in the Me Too era of like, these stories coming out of people who have repressed these memories and have made a kind of, but like you read their books and you're just like, oh wow, but the, every choice they made or a lot of choices they make were because of these things that they've been forced to repress because of society, because they've had to go on living their lives, because they've had to like survive in this world after that. Yeah. Seeing yourself kind of join this group of writers how does it feel to be like, to one see this as a part of a collective of work, but also now having these other writers too have similar stories. How does that feel? Humbling. It's, mm -hmm. it's humbling because I don't, I still don't see myself as a writer. This, I know it sounds strange. Um, no, I get it. Like me, writer, no. It's like, <laughs> Look, you know, that's it. Um, so it's humbling and mm -hmm. it's a privilege to be in this collective, to join the conversation, to join mm -hmm. this movement, to get women more comfortable to talk about mm -hmm. these sorts of things. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned the Me Too because when Me Too was like first kicking off, mm -hmm. I had wanted to start writing. Mm -hmm because I mean I was looking at, at first I was like wow there's so many women so many stories it happens too often it was scary it was like a mm -hmm. huge eye open um but then when I was looking through these stories a lot of the women women of color othered women women who don't fit that white middle class box mm -hmm. they weren't being represented 
I, I, I struggled to find their stories on social media. Yeah. It had to, we had to really trudge through it. Um, mainstream media, Hollywood kind of just took over that and it was, mm. it became a different narrative. Um, so at that time I thought I want to add to that because I, I'm not seeing women of color, other women being represented, but I, mm. I check it out. I, I was, I, I guess I wasn't ready at that time to do that. And so I'm, I'm glad that it happened when, when it did. No. And I mean, especially the way that you, the choice you made in not naming your main character to like kind of let other women be able to see themselves through the story that feels like also a way a part of that collective as well can you talk about that choice with some that's something you decided from like minute one of deciding to write this story to be honest no um it wasn't it wasn't um the first from the first instance i wanted a way to write about the very traumatic experiences without getting too emotionally and psychologically attached. I was concerned mm -hmm. because I was writing it in the first person, it would just be too close. So I decided to write in the third person to kind of give some distance between myself and the events that happened. Mm -hmm. And then as I was writing, I was, and then I was doing more research into just within the UK. Yeah figures of sexual assault and what's happening and stuff like that I thought well this could be anybody it doesn't it doesn't have to be me it could be all my friends it could be absolutely anybody so I then decided to keep it as either the girl or daughter or she her of using the pronouns and just keeping it unnamed and I thought I can't I realized I couldn't really do anything to just change society really mm -hmm. I couldn't just like get rid of all of that and make the world a better place so those sounds really naive um <laughs> I thought okay what what can I offer as a human being mm -hmm. uh, well this this is all I can really offer at this point so mm -hmm. other women can have my story and they can see themselves right. and gain feel a sense of community and strength through that and mm -hmm. that's kind of my offering for them and that's beautiful I mean to be able to give that gift into the world and the gift of your story in that way to kind of separate yourself from that story that's really I mean admirable something that I admire in that um I admire you Dee. I admire oh, you and your blush once <laughs> no you deserve it you deserve it um another thing another subject in your book I really want to talk about because this is very important to me I am, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, so my listeners already know, I'm first generation American and my parents immigrated from Jamaica, which is, I mean, in uh, the UK, there's a huge Jamaican population too. You can mention the, I mean, there's the wind rush that happened and all just like that. I have a lot of family over there. So I'm reading, I mean, one of my favorite subjects to read about is like immigrant displacement and like that, I feel like is a heavy, heavily, talked about subject in your book can you was that something that like you went into the book being like this is going to be something I want to focus on or was that something that just came naturally as you were writing uh it, it came naturally mm -hmm. um I thought that as I was writing because basically how I started writing the book was I wrote down the most traumatic events first because mm -hmm. that was purging 
and then I wanted to sort of dissect how did like all the events that kind of surround leading up to and followed um, mm -hmm. those events. And I think that kind of just, yeah, that happened naturally. I wanted to understand like who, who I am as a person, who I am as a mixed race person, being a mixed race person in my family, what kind of implications that has or had on my like identity and how I relate to traditional cultures because mm -hmm. I'm not traditional, I'm very, very liberal about everything. And that kind of clashes with a lot of the cultural expectations that, are, that still exist in Hong Kong in terms of what a girl should look like, how she should behave, what kind of jobs she should have, even how her hair should be, that kind of, you know, kind of stuff. How, and how has, I mean, talking about this in the book and, I mean, I'm only assuming your family knows about this and knows that about this book coming out. How has that been received for you? And if that's too personal a question, I, I will retract it a hundred percent. But like, how has your family received that too? Um, it's been a mixed bag. So mm -hmm. my family did not know I was writing a book. Mm -hmm. My auntie. Um, only found out when I announced the book cover on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, my, wow. mother, my mother and I at this point uh, are estranged, so we're not at a talking kind of situation. Hopefully that will be resolved in the future, but we're not in a position where we're currently talking. Um, grandma, who features heavily in the book, and she's like mm. my idol, my mentor, I love her so much. She doesn't mm. read full stop. Mm. The letter yeah. important. So English would just be like totally, totally yeah. out. But my cousins, they, they've been very, very supportive and looking forward to seeing it through kind of my eyes. Some of the things mm. they would be like, oh yeah, I remember this happening and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm quite nervous to see what specifically, you know, what my auntie is going to say. Mm. She's from an older generation. Um, right. so it's quite sort of like, oh, it's kind of, <laughs> It's so interesting to look at to that generational, I don't even say gap, because it doesn't seem like generational understanding of stories of the past, because one, we see memories differently from them. I mean, everyone sees, everyone has their own perspective on events, but to just like the idea of like, I mean, I've been in that place where I've been like, how do I, I mean, I, I even with this podcast, like how do I want to present myself in the things I say in my family and stuff so even to this extent I just again admire you for that too for being brave but again like uh, admire your cousins who you say support you and all of that that's amazing that you have that support system and I'm happy you do um I want to one one thing I really wanted to focus on because you have such a trust in your memories and I've read authors who talked about their past and I've talked about it in the sense of like, my memories are up to debate because it's something that I'm, um, I don't, I, I'm only, the only reliable sense I have is my memories. And so things change, you grow, you don't, things dull in that sense, but you have such a strong belief in trusting your memories that I, I admire. And I just, I would love to hear 
your why, just not even why you have this trust, but how that feels to have this trust? That's a really good question. Um, Thank you. I, I have this immense trust in my memory because I think you're, you are who you are based on your memory of all your life events. Mm -hmm. So you are Lance right now because right. what you remember and that mm -hmm. has kind of affected how you think about certain things and your different worldviews. Yeah. And I believe that because I, I wrote this book, I, I mean, I'm going to be 37 this year. This is telling my age. So I believe I, because I wrote this book, not as a young person, I'm not you know, that young anymore. I have such a strong sense of who I am now and who I am in terms of my identity and how I relate to other people and my own meta narrative mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that means I can have a strong trust in my memory because I know what happened I know the experiences that I've had and how that how they have shaped and formed me that, mm -hmm. that makes sense. I don't think if I wrote this even 10 years ago, I would have the same trust or confidence in my memory. And that is just, un but bearing in mind certain things like when I was, that I wrote early in the book, memories from mm. seven or eight, a lot of the dialogue has to, ha ha to be paraphrased because right. I just can't remember like word for word what, what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and I think every time we revisit a memory, something can change mm -hmm. and i think they've done like scientific like you know um studies on that so we will remember this podcast a little bit differently yeah. to how it actually happened today mm -hmm. and then two weeks from now it's going to be we're going to remember a little bit differently and then a year or so on and so forth um but i think having a strong sense of self really really helps with the trust and memory and i feel like I mean, that comes across and even just hearing you talk about it, it's just that song, that strong self, uh, the strong sense of trust. And I, I mean, I think your, your readers will definitely pick that up too because it's so powerful throughout the book. Um, I just, I wanna know how you, I mean, the book is gonna be from the podcast recording now, yeah, the book's gonna be released in a week and a half, right? Yes. Uh, a week and a half. A week less than a week and a half it's next tuesday it's uh it's so it's out. a week and a day wow are you so how did how does that feel too i usually don't usually when i talk the book is even closer i'm, I'm super nervous <laughs> I, don't <know> <laughs> I don't know why but i'm like super nervous um because mm -hmm. i want to i'm i'm excited to see what the book will look like mm -hmm. the like the final the final the physical yeah what <laughs> like I love the way mm. books smell I, do, I don't yeah. like being, I need a book no, um, same way and I'm nervous because um this is my life yeah. and there is a sense of vulnerability to that so when people read it they'll be reading my life when mm -hmm. people review it or critique it, it they're not just critiquing the way I write which that's absolutely fine but they would also be making a judgment on my life and I knew that as soon as I started to publish it I had to have that conversation with myself and be okay with it right. but 
I am still quite nervous about it because it's 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 my first book. I never even dreamed this would happen. Like mm-hmm. beyond any like didn't even think this was even ever possible. Right. And it still feels quite surreal. <laughs> well, as a person who both read and read the book and listened to you talk about it, I'm not surprised. I am not surprised that you this is is happening to you so like congratulations on that and do you have any advice for people because I feel like a book like yours and again that collective you're a part of has inspired so many young people and not even young people people because there's so many people of all ages who deserve whose stories haven't been told yet but like now a book like this can inspire someone to tell that story do you have any advice for them for like making that journey after you just made this journey? Um, I would say first tell it to themselves Mm -hmm. in whatever shape or form. So if writing it physically, it comes more naturally, then do that. If um, recording it like an audio kind of voice memo feels more Mm -hmm. natural, do that. Um, But I think you first need to tell the story to yourself. Mm -hmm. And kind of accept that that's happened in order yeah. to allow for the healing process to begin I think mm-hmm. I mean there's an acceptance it's very difficult to invite the healing and the positivity that comes with you know with that journey later yeah. on mm-hmm. but definitely get started um, otherwise it will never get written no that's I mean the great advice to all the writers I need to hear that like get started on it and yeah, get, let's get to work, people. So um, I usually, I usually, well, I usually start, but I wanted to like hear more about the book. But I usually ask this question to writers about how, um, how like what they've been doing during the pandemic, like reading or what have they been reading or watching or listening to that's helped. But I want to know more what, because I feel like with writing a book like this, you've had to like, you would have to like, make sure you're making space for yourself and your own every day-to-day life to like you know maybe step back from it get away from it a little bit has there been anything that you were reading or watching or listening to that kind of helped give you that space to step away from it when you needed to to even recharge um it sounds really corny i watched reruns of the west wing over and over yes Uh, yes the run up to the elections I was like come on come on let's change things <laughs> yeah I was living through the west wing because that, mm-hmm. that's like my sanity and um oh, I, I get that my partner buy me a punching bag uh, <laughs> I said you know we, we're gonna be locked in this small apartment we hadn't moved mm-hmm. at that time a small apartment um I need a punching bag because yeah. I'm I'm not going to survive. So West Wing, punching bag. That no, the West, I mean, the punching bag, yes. I, I've been debating about getting one. I mean, especially during some of the harder times of the pandemic, I was like, maybe this would help. So you know what? You're convincing me. But the West Wing, I also get, because what a, I mean, the whole show is about, and I, and I, I talk about it a lot because it's kind of this um, imaginary, hopeful government world where everyone's friends and there's both there's like borders connecting both sides of the political sphere and like 
people want best for the world, which is like, all right, well, I wish that was true, right? But like, no, there's, I mean, not to go too much into the West Wing, but I mean, of course I will, but season two arcs just like, of like what uh, the assistant dying and Josh recovering from getting shot and all of these things. Like, I just, the entire time I was like, wow, what a scrappy group. The, the um, conservative Republican who joins the staff, but is like dealing with that. But also, I mean, there's so much in there. I was like, yeah, this is, this would be the perfect like government. This would be it. This is what I want for a government. Even though I'm just like, this is probably, I mean, I, Martin Sheen as the president is like one of my TV crushes. That would be my dream come true if he actually became yes. <laughs> please. Every time he oh that that scene where he's like talking down to the lady who won't sit up when he runs the room because she has yeah. that like yeah. terrible rants on like homophobia and transphobia and all these like things and he just like talks her down. I think I watched it the first time, rewound it and watched it again because I was like, I need to hear this. It was a proper mic drop moment. Like he just mm -hmm. needed to just, I was like, yeah. Uh, right, I'm just, I'm cheering from the screen. I know he's, no one can see me, but I'm like, this is it, this is perfect. No, um, well, I'm glad that gave, that's giving you, that gave you that kind of peace and that kind of like space to like keep going. Cause I feel like we all need that, especially when a person's giving their soul in the way that you're giving in your book. I, I'm glad that did. I'll get an email Martin Sheen and be like, guess what you guess what you did for this yes, amazing definitely, author. Definitely, definitely did a lot. I also have a mm. very, very supportive partner. I mean, he puts mm. up with so much. And mm -hmm. he's also a crap and go instructor. So mm. and he isn't the best at verbal communication, but he mm. understands that, you know, I need to be in my zone or I need some TLC. And he's been so mm. supportive. So couldn't because this was finished during lockdown um mm -hmm. it was yeah just a very strange 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 time yeah but i mean one shout out to your partner for giving you that shout out for being there for you um because we all need our support system i'm glad he could be that for you during this and during this crazy time and that's number two like shout out to you for seeing this time and not letting it defeat you in your story and i i mean again bravo bravo i admire you i admire you so much for this um but in last thing i want to talk about because i think it's so cool like i want to know about your krav maga journey like how did that start how like you're an instructor could you i just want to like i'm like a part of me is like should i go to london and have you train me so i could be your krav um <laughs> You're back. I, I will listen. You don't touch me. I will do it because I. Oh, that sounds so cool. Tell me about your journey there. Oh, uh, so it's also a bit of a love story. Oh, mm -hmm. that was my cat feeder. Let me start again. Uh, <laughs> so it was also a little bit of a love story as well. So uh, I got married, got divorced, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, that was a very difficult time. Very just down everything like that. And I decided that I'm going to go to Cambodia for a sabbatical and took time off from being a teacher and thought if I'm going to Cambodia by myself to do volunteering, I probably should learn some self-defense because it's not safe for a woman, specifically for a small female. I'm only 5'1". 
and mm. so by by herself to Cambodia with nobody. Mm. Being Jewish, like I knew about Krav Maga, but never really took it up. Mm. And uh, there was always a poster at my local gym, and mm. um, so they were doing an open day. I went, I saw, I met the instructor, and I was like, "Wow, this is so cool! I really yeah. want to." Do this and secondly this guy's really hot like, she's like <laughs> crazy moves mm -hmm. uh, so I, I signed up I, I started loved it um mm -hmm. because of all the things that kind of happened oh, sorry that was very fine um because of all the things that happened um I had a lot of pent-up rage mm -hmm. and that would come out in being a little bit too abrasive or aggressive when I haven't had my cup of coffee, that kind of mm -hmm. unnecessary negative toxicity inside. And Krav yeah. just can't release that. Mm -hmm. And I had a very bad relationship with my body. My mm -hmm. weight would go, I would be very, very unhealthy to like mm -hmm. super stick thin. I wasn't eating properly when I look after myself. And I think in a way I was kind of punishing my body for things that happened mm -hmm. a lot of psychological trauma that needed to be resolved um mm -hmm. and Krav Maga kind of I wouldn't say fix that but it kind of gave me the tools to start trusting my body loving mm -hmm. my body when mm -hmm. I could see that I could start defending myself against a guy who was mm -hmm. trying to grab me or punch me or kick me mm -hmm. and I saw that I could I could actually do it I was like this this is great why isn't everybody else doing it? Yeah. And um, my, that, so that my instructor became my partner. Mm -hmm. so oh my God. Ever since. And he's oh. my best friend, he's my trainer, and we, we work mm -hmm. together, we do everything together. It's just, in that sense, like a love story. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Cambodia came back earlier than, than I had wanted to because I missed him so much. And um, mm -hmm. I just started training, but I didn't want to become an instructor it, it never even mm -hmm. crossed my mind i just thought i want to learn how to defend myself because mm -hmm. i think it's an important tool i don't want anything that's happened to me in the past ever happen to me again mm -hmm. um and the instructor kind of route came through with the kids so mm -hmm. i was a school teacher and i was teaching in an all-girls school mm -hmm. a lot of young girls and women who would come to me and tell me things that were just so heartbreaking of mm -hmm. situations they've had with friends that were boys, boyfriends, mm -hmm. family members, even within themselves, like groups of girls just pushing, shoving, hitting each other, violence and all that. And I was like, I need to do something about this. Yeah. And I couldn't do it through the school route because that, that just wasn't, you know, you couldn't do that. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna start teaching kids. I'm gonna start teaching mm -hmm. kids how to defend themselves, how to build their confidence, how to use their voices first to de-escalate mm -hmm. situations. Um, and so that they also know how to set boundaries as well. Mm -hmm. And then as I became a, a kids instructor, um, during one of my gradings, so one of my exams, and Krav Maga exam, exams are quite long. They're usually like four or five hours. It was like super exhausting. Um, yeah. the head of the Krav Maga Global UK came up to mm -hmm. me and said, so you're going to be instructor then? Mm -hmm. This was during my exam. I'm like, what? Right. 
what's going on? So I spoke to my partner. He's like, well, yeah, go do it. Give, mm -hmm. let's do it. I believe that you're going to be able to be an instructor. So I went still with no real expectations, which is like, I'm just going to give it my best and just go for it. And I did it. It was super hard. <laughs> it, was like yeah. it was 24 days. It was split into three sections. Mm -hmm. uh, training from nine to six every day. Oh my God. Body's like broken. You're sore. Um, they don't make it easier for just because you're a woman. It's everybody trains mm -hmm. in the exact same way. And I did it. And that was like four years ago now. Oh my God. Yeah, just been doing that. Uh, I'm teaching an all women's class. Um, helping women to get their voice, get, you know, feel more confident, learn how to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they never have to use it. Right. And yeah, and that's kind of what I do now. I'm a crumb gun instructor. You, you like, you went for the first one, saw the hot and Krav Maga instructor. And now look at you, you're the hot Krav Maga instructor now. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations for that. And also if there are any, women listening who are interested or do, do would you be happy to publicize where you uh train or is yep. so any of the ladies listening uh you can google crowdmagalondon.co.uk and uh, we're based in south london there is a, a class on sundays right in the morning uh it's just a ladies group everybody's super friendly it's really relaxed but we learn how to kick butt <laughs> and that's really cool i mean like i just i mean one of my favorite shows i think on tv or streaming right now is the show glow i don't know if you've ever seen it yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But one of my favorite things about that show is seeing these women get like this agency over their bodies and being like being like oh this is something i never knew my body could do and i'm doing it and like i mean I'm so I'm it's amazing when you see something like that found especially I feel like in society where like people are always telling women especially how to like things about their body like choices making choices about their bodies that they don't have so I mean I'm glad that like one that you found this in Kramaga and you're giving it back too you're giving back in this important way so oh my god again I admire you I admire you so much to you. I admire you no I'm on listen the second I get the second um I'm traveling again first class ticket to London to learn how to come on I'm doing it no next time you're gonna see you're gonna see me in the back of the class and I'll be like oh, it's me and I'm ready to learn um no oh my god so I so that's all I have. And I just want to thank you again for doing this. This has been a fantastic episode of the podcast. Thank you so no. much. I've really enjoyed it. You were my first podcast. So <laughs> oh. glad that, you know, my first podcast ever is with you. You made me feel so oh, comfortable. I was nervous yes. at first, but no, mm -hmm. you've been so great. It's been great chatting with you. No, it's been great chatting with you. And I just... I just like this was such a fun conversation to have and such an insightful and important conversation to have too and I just hope I mean I hope everyone who's listening truly just understands the work and the I'm guessing blood sweat and tears that went into this book and like you'll I mean you'll just feel that when you read this book for sure a hundred percent um do you have any last things you would like to say to the bookseller in the book 
the bookstore community as a whole, the independent bookstore community? Yes, I do. I love you. I love you all. Please keep selling books because mm -hmm. I need to grow my bookshelf. <laughs> I, do, I mean, shout out to all the independent booksellers and bookshops and everyone who works there. I mean, it is so difficult for everyone right now, um, especially bookshop um, workers and everything, employees. Mm -hmm. You have to deal with people who aren't quite adhering to certain regulations. And you have to put up with all of that whilst keeping a smile and recommending books. It's just mm -hmm. big shout out to all of you. I love you so much. Keep doing what you do. Oh, I felt the love there. I felt it. Well, thank you so much again. You could buy uh, the marks up on her at any local independent bookstore, but it'll be featured at Skylight. So come on by. You'll be able to see um, a little uh display for it in front of our bookstore in, in the, the front of our bookstore but you can also buy from your own local independent bookstore go have a reason to go <laughs> go say hi to a bookseller and thank thank a local bookseller um but and buy these book which you would love you will love and cherish and so this is uh this has been d Leibowitz again the marks left on here which will be on sale may 18th I got, it? I got it right, right? Yes. Um, May 18th, go, go grab yourself a copy. And thank you again my, to all my beautiful listeners. Thank you again for tuning into another episode. And I'll see you again soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.